1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, starting at the beginning. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you, unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction. Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as a pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Amen. Uh, this week, uh, I was thinking randomly about peacocks, as you do, uh, and I was thinking about peahens, uh, the female version of a peacock, and how compared with peacocks, peahens are a bit beige, aren't they? I mean, uh, when I think of a peahen, I just think of the word beige. Uh, you know, there's the male strutting around, all flamboyant with his feathers all out everywhere, and there's the peahen all a bit beige in comparison. Uh, and, and they really just don't have a good time either because it's not even like the peacock is faithful uh, to the peahen. Uh, the peacocks gather around them like a, a harem of, uh, of peahens that are there basically uh, to produce eggs uh, and also to marvel at the wonderful colour and flamboyant nature of the peacock's tail. They have a bit of a rough time, these peahens. Maybe we should pay them more notice. Uh, but in our reading this morning, uh, Paul, the writer of 1 Corinthians, is criticizing what we might call a, a strutting peacock spirituality, a strutting peacock spirituality. That slightly out there, flamboyant, highly visible spirituality, which can be at times all fluff and no substance. And one of the downfalls of this strutting peacock spirituality is also that then some of the spiritual gifts are viewed as being more sought after or better than other ones. We see often the upfront gifts, things like uh, prophecy, speaking in tongues, even leading worship, preaching, uh, intercession, healing, as being greater, uh, more spiritually impressive than perhaps some of the more behind-the-scenes spiritual gifts, uh, things like um, encouraging others, administration, hospitality, and mercy. But if you were here last week, you'll have heard David, Dave speak on 1 Corinthians 12, and he was reminding us that each of the spiritual gifts is equally valuable in terms of how they should be edifying the church. 
There is no strutting peacock when it comes to spirituality and spiritual gifts. Uh, when I was in my late teens and early twenties, I used to go to a really, really uh, charismatic church. It was actually a United Reformed Church um, um, somewhere in Yorkshire. I won't tell you where it is. Uh, and each summer, uh, we used to go as a church uh, and as a group of sort of late teens, early twenties folk uh, to this big Christian camp, and we were like super keen. Uh, we used to like get to the big venue, the big evening venue, like miles before it started, so that we could get like the first two rows. We wanted to be right in there in the middle of all the action and we'd even get there and start joining in with the worship as the worship band were rehearsing would that drive you mad mark that'd be nice okay uh, so maybe you can do that for mark um, but we'd get there and we'd start joining in. we wanted to be right in the middle of the action but actually what we were seeking a lot of the time was spiritual experience and at the end of the evening after all sorts of goings on we used to walk back together uh, to our part of the campsite and and the conversation would often go along the lines of oh you know what was your spiritual experience tonight and somebody'd be like oh you know I really felt God was close to me or I had a prophetic word or I was slain in the spirit we'll talk about that in a little bit so don't worry about it or you know something really wild happened to me and I just felt God all over me and we'd be desiring these sort of spiritual experiences to be honest sometimes a bit more than we were actually desiring God we were we were being strutting around a little bit like spiritual peacocks who could have the most incredible spiritual experience And I remember one particular evening, which is etched on my memory. Uh, After the talk, the leader uh, of the the evening uh, invited people forward who felt that God was calling them uh, to to full-time Christian ministry. And I I think I was probably about 17 or 18 at the time. And and I remember going forward at that point. And about 10 of my friends went forward too. And and in fact, they're all in some sort of uh, full-time Christian ministry. And there were about 150 of us uh, along the front of this large meeting venue. And uh, we were told just to wait and to put our arms out. And everybody else was continuing to worship. And people were coming down from the front to pray for each of us. And, And I stood there for a while and after a little while uh, somebody came and prayed for me and it was super and very sort of affirming but this was the the moment I, I after a while the guy went away and I opened my eyes and I stood there and I thought where is everybody else there were like 150 people there and and I sort of looked around and I noticed that everybody was on the floor who had come up to the front apart from me. And so I stood there. Everybody else had been slain in the spirit. Where, If you don't know what being slain in the spirit is, it's basically where God knocks you out because he wants to have a really good chat with you. And the only way he's going to do it is in that way. And I was the only person out of about 150 people who come to the front that was still stood up. And I thought, what is wrong with me? Why, why didn't God do that to me? You know, those guys, they must be much more spiritual and holy than me in that, you know, I'm the only person uh, left standing. And it's actually happened to me before as well, so I think there is definitely something wrong with me. Um, but anyway, at the end of the day, looking back, I recognize that I was almost desiring the spiritual experience more than I was desiring God in that moment. Uh, God spoke to me at that time when I was stood at the front when everybody else was lying on the floor, God spoke to me in that moment in his way. Not in the way that I wanted him to or not in the way that I expected him to or not in the way that I thought he should, uh, but he spoke to me in his way. 
And this is the sort of situation which Paul is speaking into when we get to this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In 1 Corinthians 12, which if you were here last week, uh, Dave spoke on, Paul is outlining that the spiritual gifts, uh, what the spiritual gifts are, and placing them within the context of the church, the body of Christ. And then in chapter 13, that famous passage that lots of people have at their wedding services, um, it's, it, Paul explains that the way these gifts should be used is in pursuing love, in pursuing love. And then we get to uh, chapter 14, where Paul goes on to explain to the Corinthian church that if we're pursuing love, then we need to think through whether the gifts that we're using in the church are for our own personal spirituality, our own personal edification, or for the encouragement and building up of the body of Christ, the church, uh, pointing us to Jesus, helping us to uh, spread the good news as we go out from the church. And this is really important for us to grasp. Spiritual gifts are given for two reasons, to build up the church and to bring glory to God. Spiritual gifts are to build up the church and to bring glory to God. And so Paul, in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, is challenging the church in Corinth about this. Are the right gifts being given prominence in the church in a way that will build up the body of Christ, the church? Are those gifts that are most prominent being used to bring glory to God? Or are we perhaps focusing on those gifts uh, that are a bit more about individualistic spirituality or a bit more about making us feel like spiritual strutting peacocks? And it's interesting to note then uh, that Paul picks on two particular spiritual gifts here in chapter 14. Over all the others that are mentioned in chapter 12, Paul picks on prophecy and speaking in tongues. And why is that? Uh, Since the church came into being, these two gifts, tongues and prophecy, have caused probably more pain and confusion and disunity than any others. And why is that? Because of all the gifts, these two gifts tend to go more against our logical reason. They're a bit more wacky, aren't they? Uh, And they take us to a spiritual realm which sometimes doesn't make sense. You know, speaking in languages uh, that we don't understand, let alone anybody else. Or speaking uh, the truth of Jesus into a situation. And they can be like fire. They can be immensely powerful to bring good. But they also can be immensely destructive as well. And I think that's why Paul is picking on these two gifts particularly at this point. So let's just have a look at them for a moment. Some of us here may be really familiar with the gift of tongues. We might have the spiritual gift of tongues. And for others, we're not uh, as familiar uh, uh, with it as as other people. It's okay if you don't have the spiritual gift of tongues. Uh, Many of us here won't have, but it is something that often is sort of heightened in terms of uh, what we want. And so there are three uh, forms of tongues that I'm just going to uh, flesh out a little bit. And I'm probably going to say these words wrong. But we've got xenolalia, angelalia, and glossolalia. So xenolalia is the tongues of men. Uh, This is the the, the tongues that we find in Acts chapter 2 at that first Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples and they're able to speak other languages that the people gathered there from many nations are able to understand. 
This is the speaking other languages, a sort of spiritual way of speaking other languages that others understand. And then Angelalia, Lolia, Angelalia, um, is the tongues of angels. And this is the spiritual language. Uh, it's that language of adoration that we can use. It's a spiritual language given to us to help us to pray and to praise, perhaps when we have no other words to use. And then the third one, glossolalia, which is often used as the overarching term as well. Uh, this is the speaking of tongues out loud, speaking in a spiritual language out loud. And it's the more pr- prophetic spiritual word. And it, this is the one that always requires an interpretation. If somebody speaks out, uh, out loud in a spiritual language, it requires an interpretation, which Paul mentions as well in chapter 14. And each of these forms of speaking tongues are a form of prayer and are mainly used to build up the individual. In our human minds and our human understanding, speaking in tongues is often the first spiritual gift that we think of. We see it as being slightly more spiritual or to be desired above all others. But interestingly, the list of spiritual gifts that you find in the New Testament, particularly in Romans and 1 Corinthians, uh, tongues is actually placed really low down in that list of spiritual gifts. And I think that's because Paul is flipping over how we view the gift of tongues. So by putting it last on the list, Paul is challenging how we often view it as the most important spiritual gift. So let's unpack a little bit more now about what Paul is saying specifically in 1 Corinthians 14. Well, firstly, he seems to be taking a bit of a pop at uh, speaking in tongues. And yet earlier in chapter 12, he said that all the spiritual gifts are equal. So why is it now that he appears to be contradicting himself? Well, Paul draws out three criticisms uh, of how the gift of tongues is being used. Uh, First of all, in verse 2. He criticizes the way that that tongues is being used to speak just to God and not to other humans. If there is no interpretation of the language, then the words that we're speaking are just to God. And if you remember that a spiritual gift is to build the church and to glorify God. And so in the context of a Christian community, uh, those sorts of words uh, are doing nothing to, to, to build up the people of God. And then in verse 4, he says, because speaking in tongues is used here to speak to God and not to other people, it can be, not always, it can be just about edifying yourself. It can become individualistic uh, so that worship just becomes between you and God rather than something corporate that we all are sharing together. But also, because we don't normally speak in uh, strange languages, because it's one of those gifts that it's clear if we have it or not, it can become uh, one of those gifts that are seen as a sort of higher uh, than others. And Paul is not saying that worshipping God through tongues, though, is bad. There is nothing wrong with speaking in tongues. It can be a wonderful and a liberating thing. It can help you to go into a new place in terms of your relationship with God. But what Paul is saying is that we need to be careful about its use. Because it's all about you talking to God in a language no one else around you can understand. And so used in some worship contexts, it can become quite individualistic 
and self-edifying. And that's what Paul is warning about in this passage in 1 Corinthians 14. And then lastly, uh, in this bit, uh, if you look at verses 7 to 11, Paul is explaining that speaking in tongues is sometimes like uh, speaking a foreign language or playing lots of musical instruments all at the same time in a way that nobody can really understand what's going on. It just means nothing. It's, it's unintelligible noise with no direction or meaning or purpose. And the question that Paul is asking is, how does this build up the church? A few years ago, I was, for some reason, uh, in an extremely uh, Anglo-Catholic church down in Gloucestershire, uh, taking part in a high mass. Now, I've been in lots of different traditions uh, of churchmanship, uh, but I can safely say uh, that this moment in this particular church, which is probably one of the most Anglo-Catholic churches in the whole of the Church of England, um, it, I felt completely out of my depth, okay? Uh, there was about, I don't know, probably about 10 or 12 priests there. There was only one priest doing the magic, but we were all there. And, and I had not a clue what was going on half the time. So what I was doing was just following all these other priests um, around at the front of this church. And we were like three million miles away from the rest of the congregation. And there was a lot of walking around and prancing around and bowing to the altar and bowing to each other and bowing every time the Holy Spirit was mentioned. There was incense going off and bells going off all over the place. Uh, uh, and I can't completely fell out of my depth in this place. But actually, what was really fascinating for me, to me was at the end of the service, I was stood at the door at the back, and I was chatting to a group of chorister parents, and uh, the choristers had been singing this high mass, and, um, and these are chorister parents, so they spend half their life sat in grand cathedral-type buildings listening to choral evensong and taking part in it. Uh, and uh, quite a few of these parents were actually Christians. And they said to me, Libby, what have we just taken part in? Was this, is this Christian? Or is it like a cult? Um, they weren't quite sure what they'd just taken part in. And I thought that was really interesting. In that moment, taking part in an unfamiliar Christian worship, they found it unintelligible and slightly alienating. They didn't understand what they'd been part of. It actually resulted in me having a really interesting conversation with the brilliant guy who's in charge of that church, and they've now put some things in so people understand what's going on. But I think that's a challenge to all of us, isn't it? In whatever style of church we're involved in, uh, not just in our, in our worship, but in every aspect of, of how we live out our Christian lives, is what we do unintelligible or is it understandable does it make sense to people does it point people to Jesus uh, does it build up the church does it encourage us to go out and live and serve to glorify God if our worship if our Christian practices are completely unintelligible or self-edifying just about me and God having a happy time together about our own spiritual experience and not encouraging each other and building each other up as Christians, then we need to question, don't we, whether we're doing the right thing. So Paul is getting right to the heart now of this public spirituality and private spirituality. Uh, theologian Tom Wright tells this story. Two builders went off to work, uh, and they walked through these twisting streets of a village, a town. Uh, and the first man got to his plot of land where he was building his own house. 
Uh, he was laboring day in and day out. This house didn't look, really look like much from the outside, but once you went inside, you found he created a beautiful courtyard surrounded by a beautiful carved my- marble. You went inside and you found that he designed each room just wonderfully with glorious pieces of furniture inside each room. The windows uh, were masterpieces. The only person, who, the only people who would ever see what was inside this house were him and his family. But he didn't care about that. The second man carried on walking. and He walked down the street through a few other roads and eventually reached the, the, church, the, the town square. And he met there dozens of other people who were working together on a new building. And that new building would fit uh, along one whole side of the town square. And it was just going to be the most grand and wonderful building. And the foreman was stood in the middle of the square, allotting all the people tasks. This person was going to be going and working on some stonework that was going to be put at the top of the building. Another person was out finding tiny pieces of colored glass that we put together uh, to make beautiful mosaics. Uh, One person would be dressing stones ready for the interior of the building. Who cared what sort of houses they all lived in when they were building together a cathedral, a house of beauty and awe and prayer and wonder uh, to last a thousand years, which would help people come to know God, come to know his love and his power. And our job as a church, using the spiritual gifts that God has given us, is to not build our own private houses of spirituality, but great cathedrals where people see the love and grace and glory of God. Uh, Not cathedrals built of stone either, but cathedrals of people who are fully living out our daily lives for the glory of God. It is important to invest in our own private spirituality. We're not going to grow as disciples of Jesus if we're living in spiritual slums. But our spiritual lives are not just uh, being done in private. It's not just about you and Jesus, but it's about your spiritual life being lived out and worked out in the context of community. And that's why at P's and G's, we think it's really important to come together as we've done this morning, not just to sit at home and listen to our sermons on podcasts or just to stick on the latest uh, worship CD or whatever on Spotify. It's about coming together, and and midweek as well, coming together in connect groups or student huddles or whatever to share life and worship and discipleship together. Our spiritual gifts, whatever they are, whether they're mercy, hospitality, prophecy, teaching, speaking in tongues, are lived out, not in private, but in the context of community. And that's why Paul is focusing so much in this passage on 1 Corinthians on the gift of prophecy as a more helpful gift for building up the church, being church, being disciples of Jesus together. So what is prophecy? Well, we often think of prophecy as somebody like predicting the future. But in the New Testament, prophecy is about God speaking truth into people's present situations. God speaking truth into people's present situations. So when Paul is speaking about the gift of prophecy in the context of worship here, he isn't just talking about those spontaneous moments where people get a word for somebody else, but he's 
speaking mainly about uh, prophetic messages uh, that are spoken by people who have got that godly wisdom and understanding, who, people who have faithfully studied scripture and are speaking out the truth of scripture honestly and openly to the church and to the culture that we live in. This world that we live in today desperately needs to hear the good news of Jesus, isn't it? The world that we live in today desperately needs to know that there is good news in the darkness. So how can we speak the truth of Jesus? How can we live out the truth of Jesus in our workplaces, in our families, in our communities, in the groups of people that we're involved in? How can we be prophetic in the way that we get involved in our communities, how we get involved in politics or ethics or whatever's going on and speak the truth of Jesus into this world that needs good news today. So prophecy is about those spontaneous spiritual words that people get for individuals, but also it's about speaking the truth of scripture into the church and into the world. I don't know about you, but I sometimes sit here and I listen to other people uh, preach, and, and I think, you know, flip, God is speaking completely into our situation, either as a church or as a, as a world. And in those moments, that's when we see the spiritual gift of prophecy uh, powerfully at work. And so Paul says, the spiritual gift of prophecy is one that we should pursue, the one that we should desire, the one that we should ask God for. In verses 3 and 5 of 1 Corinthians 14, he talks about how that's because it's so much more edifying. It builds up the church because it's in its very nature, as someone speaks out the truth of the gospel, uh, the word doesn't return to as empty, but it's all about strengthening and encouraging and comforting. It's about building up the common good. There was an expectation around in the New Testament church that God was speaking, that God was stirring people up and encouraging and building up the church, ready for them to go out and be and spread the good news of Jesus. There was an expectation that all believers would be serving each other, using their spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ, the church, and glorify God. And nothing has changed in that respect. But I wonder if we have do we still expect God to speak to us today through his word, in our times of prayer, through our worship together, through other people? Do we still expect God to speak today into our home and work situations, into our lives to stir up and challenge us? Do we expect God to use us as his prophetic mouthpiece into the places that we find ourselves day by day, week by week? Are we willing to be used by God in this way? Or actually, are we scared and we've battened down the hatches and we've been focusing on our individualistic, private faith? How can we be using the spiritual gifts that we've been given, not just striving after those strutting peacock spiritualities, but using the gifts that we've been given in our offices, in our workplaces, with our friends, with our families, in this church, not just to edify ourselves, uh, but to build up the people of God and to glorify him.